0: Be seated. Good to see you this evening. Let's turn uh, to uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, Sunday nights through the Bible, progressively one end to the other, and we come uh, tonight to Luke chapter 2. And Luke chapter 2 records for us the uh, birth of Jesus into human history. Uh, And it begins, and it came to pass in those days uh, that a decree uh, went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world uh, should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was uh, governing Syria. And so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from uh, Galilee out of the city of Nazareth uh, and into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he uh, and Mary also were of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered there with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child and may we say great with child. And so it was, uh, and uh, so we'll stop there in verse 5, uh, who was with child. And so here we have the circumstances surrounding uh, the birth uh, of, of Jesus. And uh, important to understand, I think, the uh, problem, if God can have problems, that he was facing uh, in this birth. Uh, Micah had prophesied in the Old Testament that the Messiah, when he would be born into uh, human history that he would be born in the city of David, uh, in the city of uh, Bethlehem. And so here you have Joseph and Mary. Mary now uh, eight to nine months pregnant. Uh, they are up in northern Israel, up in a city called Nazareth. They are separated at a distance of 90 miles between Nazareth and and Jerusalem, if you make your way uh, bypassing Samaria, which uh, religious Jews would have typically done in those days. And so how in the world uh, does God get uh, uh, Mary? Uh, from Nazareth into Bethlehem in order for Jesus to be born there at just exactly the right time. And so he takes the most powerful man in the world at that time, a man by the name of uh, Caesar Augustus. This was a name that he searched for himself. Caesar wasn't enough. He wanted to be called Caesar the August. Caesar of the gods, and uh, God said, "Oh boy, how am I going to get him?" He didn't really, but uh, how am I going to get them down from Nazareth down into Bethlehem? I'll take Caesar of the gods, and I'll cause him to make a decree that every. Uh, family in the Roman Empire should go to the home uh, city of their birth in order that they might be registered. And government being the same today, the registration was for the purpose of being registered for taxation. And since Joseph and Mary were of the lineage of David, it was necessary Uh, Rome didn't care baby no baby nothing Uh, a decree was a decree and you had to make your way there and so she makes her way uh, down with Joseph uh, into uh, Bethlehem and the timing was perfect Uh, You realize, I mean, not only the decree was perfect, but the timing was perfect. Because if uh, the decree had gone out a month earlier, uh, then Mary would have gone to Bethlehem, would have been registered, and returned to Nazareth before the birth of Jesus. If it had been a month later, she would have given birth to Jesus in Nazareth, and then made her way with her newborn into Bethlehem. But Micah, that prophecy, as is the case with all prophecies, in the Bible, they uh, are to be fulfilled uh, fulfilled to uh, perfection. And so the decree was perfect and uh, they made their way then to, uh, to uh, the city of, of Bethlehem. And while they're there, we're told in verses six and seven, and so it was while they were there, the uh, days were completed for her Mary to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn uh, son, she would have. Um, despite the teachings of Roman Catholicism, the the, the Gospels uh, teach that she did have children after Jesus. Joseph did not know her physically until Jesus was born, and uh, he was the firstborn in terms of prominence, but also the firstborn in terms of uh, of a line of of sons that she would bear, and uh, and uh, so there isn't the perpetual virginity of uh, of. Uh, Of Mary as it's taught in uh, in some places. So while she was there, uh, uh, her days were completed for her uh, to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and that's just strips of cloth uh, that was common in those days, and they would just wrap the child progressively with them. It's quite a, a cocoon and uh, and uh, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them uh, in the inn the reason that there was no room uh, for joseph and mary in any kind of uh, uh, acceptable uh, socially acceptable uh, lodgings in uh, bethlehem is that the entire world was moving from one roman world was moving from one place to another in order to accommodate this decree, decree. So you had massive numbers of people uh, coming into Bethlehem. Bethlehem was not that large of a city, and uh, limited uh, limited number of Hiltons and uh, uh, Day Six and and uh, and, and uh, Holiday Inns. Well, they didn't have any of those. They just had inns that uh, people's homes that had rooms on them. So those were quickly gobbled up. Joseph and Mary couldn't find. A room like that, to uh, for Jesus to be born in, and so he was born, uh, uh, as we're, uh, as we're told there. Let um, me see right here. -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Right, right, page will help me. Yeah, he was uh, uh, laid him in a manger. No room for them in the inn. The word, the interesting word for the word "inn" there. Again, don't think of a Holiday Inn. Uh, The word there is a cataluma, and the cataluma was basically a barn. It was four walls that went up. And then the shepherds would drive their flocks inside this enclosure for safety for the night. Uh, But that's all it was, uh, and and many times roofless. And uh, so there wasn't even room in the Cataluma. So they find some place where uh, animals are being uh, uh, kind of sheltered there in Bethlehem. Uh, by virtue of the fact that they clear out a manger, a feed trough, in order for him to then, uh, after his birth, to lay him in the feed trough. Uh, for related to uh, kind of a crib on things. And so a very kind of rustic situation that he's in, but it is important to realize that it wasn't a lack of hospitality on the part of the people of Bethlehem toward Joseph or Mary. It was just, the city was just simply uh, uh, overwhelmed. And so uh, Jesus born and uh, wrapped in those swaddling cloths and, and laid in the manger. And so you imagine coming from, as Jesus will, at the end of his public ministry, in fact, on the night before he is crucified, uh, as we talked about this morning, he cries out in his high priestly prayer, and he asks the Father uh, that he would once again enjoy uh, the glory that he enjoyed in heaven before his incarnation into uh, the world Imagine Now, we don't know anything. Well, we know a little bit about heaven from the scriptures, but we know nothing experientially. Uh, one day we will be in heaven as Christians and it'll be like you left this uh, to come into the world, period, to come into the world in a palace what, uh, uh, who would do it. Except for love and except for grace, and one day we will have a full appreciation for the incarnation. What Jesus left to come into this world to say nothing of then enduring uh, the death of the cross, and and so he comes in into the world, and then he uh, obviously knowingly, uh, God knows that he's going to be uh, he's going to be born, and he's going to be born into these very very simple. Uh, kind of, uh, of uh, circumstances, the humblest of, of circumstances that feed trough uh, for animals. And, and, you, and you ask yourself, why would God do that? And, uh, Gail Irwin tells kind of the classic story that if Jesus was his son, there'd be this gigantic gleaming hospital that would come out of the sky uh, with Jesus for his birth and everything sanitary, and there's nothing like that about, about the scene. And I think that one of the reasons that it, it may be that, that Jesus was born in kind of these simple circumstances is most of the world lives in those kind of circumstances. Uh, even today, certainly everyone did uh, in the ancient world. And I, I think that part of it is that nobody can ever... Isn't it interesting that uh, as you... Uh, no matter what people group I- exists in the world... Nobody can ever look at Jesus and say, he won't understand me. He won't understand my circumstances. He came into the world with a silver spoon in his mouth. How could he understand what it is to be raised in a village, uh, to be raised so uh, rustically? And, and so you see it's been taken off of the table all around the world. Nobody looks and says, uh, that's, uh, that's a Western Jesus or an Eastern Jesus, or he couldn't understand. Uh, nobody was born into more simple circumstances in human history than uh, 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 Jesus was here uh, in this uh, scene. Then you notice that Jesus, having been born in verse 7, and uh, that uh, now uh, there is this uh, pent-up desire in heaven to make it known. Of course, today when, when a baby is born, we send out birth announcements. They become more and more elaborate as time goes on in the wealth of our Western culture. But uh, this is heaven's birth announcement, uh, announcing the birth of Jesus uh, into human history. And, uh, and it is recorded for us there uh, in verse 8. Now there were in the same uh, country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks uh, by night. It is fascinating again to me in this whole sense of Everything about Jesus' life makes him approachable to people, no matter what the culture, no matter our background. And this birth announcement is going to be made by heaven, uh, not to the Roman Senate. It is not going to be made to Caesar Augustus. It is going to be made to a group of very anonymous shepherds that are watching uh, sheep, uh, tending them out in the field outside of the city of uh, of Of Bethlehem, and uh, so that 's the target group that 's who the announcement is going to be uh, made. I think it certainly speaks to the fact that uh, God is no respecter of persons, Jesus is no respecter of, uh, of persons at all, and, uh, and, and his love for everyone that he sent, in his, and communicated, he sent his son into the world to save everyone, whatever their uh, class or uh, uh, status within uh, society. I think an additional reason that the announcement might have been made to the shepherds was because uh, these kind of simple, uh, anonymous, everyday people like we are, uh, that announcement being made uh, to them, they were kind of a forerunner of the single largest group of people that, were, that historically end up putting their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You remember that in, in one of the Gospels, uh, it was declared concerning Jesus, the common people heard uh, him uh, gladly. Uh, the wealthy, they struggled uh, con- concerning believing in this uh, carpenter's son from uh, this rustic north of Nazareth. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And certainly the religious leaders with all of their wealth and their education uh, they, uh, uh, they, they not only did not receive Jesus as Messiah, but they then uh, persecuted him, the entirety of his his public ministry. It's, it, it's, it's funny to me because I'm like you. I see this thing happen every once in a while. Maybe once a year it'll come across my radar. And uh, usually some, from some academic setting, and they'll talk about uh, Christians being kind of like rubes you know we're all the, the the filthy unwashed of the culture uh, this great intellectual uh, uh, culture of the United States of America, which is collapsing before our eyes by the way, uh, if they hadn 't noticed and uh, and and that Christianity is somehow terribly anti intellectual and if you just attain to a certain level of monetary uh, and financial prosperity and you get a high enough uh, uh, of an education, then Christianity poses uh, 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 provides no appeal to you. Uh, at all and so uh, there's this kind of thing that is is uh, goes on and uh, uh, that is spoken. But the fact of the matter is that it, it isn't wealth, it isn't education, it isn't success uh, that is to blame for that particular class of people by and large. Jesus said uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into heaven. It's not that he can't be saved and God doesn't want him saved. But these things that become a source of his pride uh, th- uh, th- those are his obstacles, uh, not the intellectualism or anti-intellectualism of, of uh, Christianity. You want to blow your mind, pick up a Bible. Get born again, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you will, it, 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 God and the Holy Spirit will take your mind places that nowhere else in the world can take it. You aren't even, a person isn't even using their intellect until they come to know Christ. Not fully. And that's why the Bible talks about the, the great commandment uh, for us is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. The totality of everything that we are can be immersed into a discovery and a, a search uh, uh, of, of discovery for, uh, of Jesus. And at the end of 80 years... Uh, on our deathbed we will say we haven't even begun to scratch the surface there's nothing anti-intellectual or unintellectual or unintellectually challenging about uh christianity the mystery of it and it's good for uh, if it, anyone within earshot of my voice that is in the camp of great accomplishments and great titles and great wealth and great power and position to stop and to ask oneself whether uh, it is not uh, that pride and that arrogance that is the great obstacle to coming to know Christ and uh, not uh, the the fact that the overwhelming majority of his followers are not many mighty, not many noble, not many great, as Paul put it in writing uh, to the church at at Corinth. And so uh, the announcement is made to the shepherds. They were keeping watch over their flock Uh, by night and uh, this uh, is uh, interesting uh, and the presence of the the shepherds out in the flock in an open field at night uh, indicates that uh, and not everyone is is universally agreed on this some people do believe that Jesus was born and these shepherds were out in the field in December uh, in uh, in Israel but uh, the majority view on things is that his birth was probably in September, October, uh, in, in December. Uh, typically they would have the flocks uh, inside and, and uh, dealing with them with the winter and, and all. And so uh, this the, uh, the dating of it probably into the fall and not so much uh, into uh, the winter. And the world of course celebrates the Jesus' birth on December twenty fifth. Uh, not because we believe that that's the exact day that Jesus was born in human history, but it was an attempt in, I think, 345 uh, A.D., an attempt by the Roman, uh, uh, Roman government at that time to sanctify uh, the Feast of Saturnalia, which was a very pagan feast uh, that happened at that time of the year, and as, uh, as the Christian population gained in power and number in the Roman Empire, then that day was was chosen uh, in order to celebrate the birth of of Jesus Christ. And I think all of it's pretty uh, interesting in light of uh, the three main Jewish feasts of the feasts of the Jewish religious calendar, uh, the Feast of Passover, which occurs in late uh, spring, and the Feast of Pentecost that. Uh, is late spring and early summer, the Feast of Tabernacles, which occurs in the fall, and uh, their fulfillment in Jesus being, uh, as is the case with the entire Old Testament, the volume of the book testifies of of Him, all of it's a picture of Christ, and the Feast of Passover was fulfilled uh, in His death upon the cross, the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled, and the Feast of First Fruit uh, when uh, was fulfilled in uh, the birth of the church on the day of Pentecost, and i 'm inclined to believe that jesus 's fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles occurred uh, at his uh, birth, and uh, it would make sense to me since the apostle John in his gospel, he uh, describes jesus 's birth as his coming to dwell or coming to tabernacle uh, with us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt with us, tabernacled among us, literally. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father full of grace and full of truth. Well, nobody needs to die on on that hill or not. There are many people who believe that um, the rapture of the church or Jesus' second coming will be associated uh, with the Feast of Tabernacles, that it will be fulfilled uh, later in the progression of things uh, and didn't necessarily have to be fulfilled uh, in in his uh, birth. But it it does make us realize that every time... uh, September, October comes each year. There's a heightened uh, awareness of Christians uh, with the coming of the Feast of Tabernacles that this might be the time that we're going to be uh, raptured in fulfillment of. Of that uh, of that uh, feast, and uh, and that may happen, but it, it's just as likely that he fulfilled it uh, in his birth. You notice that uh, this great birth announcement takes place uh, at night, and so uh, here you have the context uh, of darkness in order to fully appreciate the glory of, uh, of what is going uh, to happen here and uh god has thought of everything here and then uh, suddenly behold and it's like you can't miss it behold an angel of the lord stood before these shepherds uh, and the, the glory of the lord shone around them boom and there he is now to announce the birth uh, of messiah you know we've got all these blockbuster movies and uh whatever superheroes there are and all the different special effects and all so we can kind of become numb to uh this kind of stuff oh no you know i mean they did this and they can do better than that that was like the last spider-man and so we get hardened by it but these guys at night the biggest thing they saw was a star and then suddenly there's this angel in front of them, and the reaction is given to us, it would be my reaction to, they were greatly afraid. Uh, are, uh, do you come in peace, uh, or do you come, uh, are you slightly upset with us? And, uh, and so they don't, uh, they don't know what, what the tone is. I think that uh, part of what happens here is not only what they see visually, this, this uh, angelic being sent from the throne room of God suddenly appears from them in that, that context of darkness, lights up the entire sky, but uh, here you have a piece of heaven uh, showing up in there. And I don't doubt that there was a tremendous spiritual dynamic also Uh, if you ever walk into a place that's set aside for God God's presence is so uh, strong and you realize what impacted me in that room more than anything was the sense of the presence of God and I think that that was a big part of things in addition to what they could see uh, uh, with their eyes and then the angel knew they were afraid and so he said to them uh, do not be afraid I didn't come to with news that's going to make you afraid at all. For behold, I bring you good tidings. I bring you a gospel, good news of great joy, which will be to uh, all people. And so he uh, proceeds to tell them, uh, the, that uh, the uh, in terms of the uh, what uh, this declaration concerning the Messiah and the the birth of Jesus into the world that it's good news. It's a source of great joy, and it will be to all people, not just to the Jews, but also uh, to uh, the entire Gentile world, the whole world. And then he he describes this great news in greater detail. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, that is Bethlehem, uh, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So Jesus, they're told Jesus has come into the world uh, as Savior. Uh, Christ means Messiah. He was born into the world as the Jewish Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies related to that. But Savior speaks of the fact that he's come into the world to save man uh, from his sin, and uh, that he is uh, not merely uh, a baby lying in a manger, but that he is Christ. He is uh, also the Lord. And then he gave them a sign uh, for them so that they would be able to identify this baby uh, in Bethlehem. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So there probably were uh, maybe even a number of babies that had 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 been birthed at that time in the city of Bethlehem and wrapped in swaddling cloths. And so he says, you'll find wrapped in swaddling cloths, but also lying in a manger. There would only be one in Bethlehem, uh, doubtless, that met that criteria. So as a a bolstering to their faith, uh, he he tells them uh, where they can find this Savior uh, who is Christ the Lord. And suddenly, uh, the one angel wasn't enough. Uh, There was with the uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host uh, praising God and uh, saying. Now, I, I happen to really enjoy the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and I have uh, favorite songs that they have done, and when you hear a large, great choir uh, singing, it's, it's awesome in its own right, and uh, here you have an entire choir of angels now that make this declaration uh, concerning Messiah to them uh, uh, even Even further, one of the thing that that I want us to understand uh, with uh, the how dramatic all of this is is that the birth of Jesus, whatever it was uh, thought of in the ancient world, uh, whatever uh, his birth is thought of today in our increasingly secular world, heaven is excited heaven was excited about his birth heaven is excited to provide the world uh, with a savior with Christ who is Uh, the Lord and uh, it doesn't matter how many how few uh, or how again how few believe in him it will never change the fact that heaven is as excited as it can express over the birth of this savior into uh, the world whatever man may think uh, of him or do with him and the great thing that they, they sang is glory to God in the highest. This is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. And uh, so glory to God for this Savior and this salvation. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, uh, goodwill uh, toward man. And so it was when the angels had gone uh, away from them into heaven Uh, that the shepherds said uh, to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. I don't know how much of like a lull there was when the angelic host was gone. And then, I mean, I wouldn't break that silence, not immediately. And then they said, okay, what are we gonna do here? Well, let's go find, they they told us uh, how to find them. So let's uh, let's head out and, and uh, do that. And they came with haste, verse sixteen, and found uh, Mary and Joseph and the babe lying. Uh, in uh, the manger and so this beautiful uh, beautiful scene and now what they had seen so supernatural out in the open now it's uh, fulfilled uh, in uh, before their eyes as a second kind of witness to the truth of all of it and then all of those uh, uh, in verse 17 now when they had seen him they made widely known the sayings which uh, was told them concerning this child. So they went in all directions and began to tell everyone who would listen that what they had experienced, the announcement that had been made by the angel, then the angels finding the child to everyone who would listen. And of course, it's a a beautiful example. Uh, They are to us of the fact that when you've been given that kind of a revelation, uh, you don't yawn, go home and go to sleep and forget all about it. That news is too good to keep to ourselves. The whole world uh, deserves to hear that news that God has supernaturally revealed to us. And so it is uh, true, related to the Gospel and the Gospel that has changed our lives we don 't keep it to ourselves; we make that news uh, of salvation known uh, to to everyone and all those that heard this report, they marveled at these things which were told them uh, by the shepherds, uh, and uh, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them uh, in her heart, so she already knew an awful lot about Jesus, she knew. Uh, that, that she knew that her birth was a miracle uh, and, and a miracle of God. Uh, she knew what the angel Gabriel had uh, told her about the coming of, of this son and in, in saying, Blessed art thou, you know, you're, you're the, the one that has chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. So she had kind of a file in her mind of what she knew, and then she adds that uh, to the file and is pondering. The, Pieces are coming together for her as time goes on. The shepherds then return, glorifying God and and praising God for all the things that they had heard and uh, seen as it was uh, told them. And then uh, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, according to the law of Moses and previously, uh, the covenant that was made with Abraham, God and Abraham, a covenant uh, with the Jews for circumcision later it was uh, made a part of the law of Moses every male child was to be circumcised and he was to be circumcised on the eighth day as we saw with John the Baptist uh, last time we were together and that Uh, that circumcision uh, service was a time in which uh, uh, the name was given uh, uh, to Jesus here. His name was called Jesus. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. He is the salvation provided uh, by the God of the Bible. And uh, he was given that name that was given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And you remember earlier in the account, the angel uh, declared that when he was born, he was to be born. He was to be named Jesus because his name represents his mission. Jehovah is salvation. He was bringing the salvation of God into uh, human history. Now, when the days of her purification, according to. Uh, the law of Moses were completed. They uh, brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him uh, to the Lord. As it is uh, written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be holy to the Lord. And they came uh, there for uh, this, uh, this uh, rite and this service to offer a sacrifice according to what had been said in the law of the Lord, a pair of, of turtle doves or two young pigeons and so Following Mary's purification, uh, it, it, Luke here records the third uh, event from Jesus's uh, earliest childhood. Again, Luke emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, uh, and that aspect of him, and uh, so we have much more about his childhood than any of the other Gospels. So Jesus is brought now to the temple where he's going to be dedicated to God by Joseph and Mary, and uh, so they make the five-mile journey from Bethlehem. Into Jerusalem to do that. This event would have occurred uh, forty days after Jesus uh, had been born, and that's what the law required was uh, a period of, of purification uh, for. Uh, for Mary, for the mother. Uh, one period of purification if it was a male child, another period of purification if it was a female child. And it was a, uh, that period of purification before the child would then be dedicated to God reminded both the, the husband and the wife and reminded the woman uh, that as wonderful as the birth of this child is, you have just given birth to a sinner. And, uh, and so this purification. Was uh, was a, a part of that that period before he he or she and he, here it's he would be dedicated to the Lord and so this occurred some uh, thirty three days following uh, Jesus's circumcision and uh, and and his uh, and, and his naming the the dedication of a child to the Lord in this uh, this purification following this purification according to the law of Moses. Uh, it, it, they could, the parents could offer a lamb or a pigeon, or they would offer a turtle dove. Uh, the, 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 requirement was that they would, uh, bring a lamb for sacrifice for the birth of the child. And, uh, but if the parents could not afford a lamb, Uh, If they were of poor circumstances and could only afford uh, a couple of birds uh, to be offered as sacrifice, then they were free to do that if genuinely uh, poor. And it's interesting to note that Joseph and Mary, that's the sacrifice that they make for Jesus. Uh, You you might uh, imagine how much they would have loved here is the Son of God, here's the Savior of the world, He's been entrusted to us. I mean, can't we offer a lamb? And, uh, and yet, they didn't have the resources themselves. Evidently, they couldn't scrape it together among family. And it speaks to us of the fact that Jesus was uh, born in a very uh, uh, modest, materially speaking, uh, home. And, and family. Uh, that is the kind of context that uh, God chose for His Son uh, to be raised up in. Very, very simple home. Very, very simple uh, 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 humble uh, Background. He wasn't raised by powerful people or wealthy people or any of those kind of things. And again, I think, uh, again, even in his upbringing, uh, anyone that's wealthy in the world could look at him and say, uh, and not be stumbled at all by. The humility of his circumstances growing up, and certainly every person who is the majority of the world today being raised in the same circumstances would not look at Jesus and say, no, he is a rich, he is a rich man's savior. He is a powerful man's savior, but he is not a savior for people like uh, me. Uh, And Jesus was born again uh, all all of these all of these things that could deter people in some way distract them in some way are are removed even in in uh, the circumstances in which he was born and and uh, and in uh, which which he was uh, raised I think that uh, I was reading a, a while ago I was looking for a quote, and you go online. You can find quotes all over the place, and um, but I found a quote, and uh, it was Stevie Wonder, and he, and I couldn't find it again. Uh, uh, but it was interesting because so famous, so powerful, so wealthy now. But he was raised. He was raised in poverty. He was raised in very simple circumstances, and. Uh, and he declared, in essence, that he was thankful every day that 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 's what uh, formed him in his childhood and it doesn 't mean that you can 't be raised in wealth or that you can 't be successful as a parent if you are rich and powerful and in, in, in they 're raised around uh, a ch- you raise your children around a level of wealth, but it does require uh, something of parents to to keep uh, uh, wealth to be wealth is is one of the greatest corruptors uh, uh, that exists uh, the love of money is the root of all evil and uh, and to raise children with boundaries and so forth that their upbringing is simple it is humble there is not an addiction to comfort there's not an addiction to to material things Uh, And uh, so God has people raised in all kinds of homes and all. I'm very glad that uh, uh, I was raised in a simple home like like this. At the end of the month, anything that was in the refrigerator got thrown in a bowl. And for the final three days before payday, uh, that's what we ate. Anything in the cupboards, the refrigerator. And and it it was great. I wouldn't change anything uh, at all uh, about that. And, and it, makes me, uh, it makes me appreciate everything that I have in life that is over and above that. I don't have any fear of, um, boy, if I lost everything materially. How would I get by? You know, when you've been raised in that kind of a home, you've already been there, done that. You survived. And not only did you survive, it was a blessing in, in many circumstances. Not all homes are great, but uh, where it's like this, a loving home, caring parents, and, uh, but didn't have much, is able to stay very focused on what life is, is really uh, uh, about. And so uh, this was the circumstances that Jesus was, uh, was was raised in, and uh, that God chose for that to happen now when he when they bring Jesus to the temple now in order to for this uh, this uh, uh, rite of purification, uh, there are two uh, people uh, that are going to meet Joseph and Mary and Jesus there, and uh, we 're told about them moving forward in the passage now, and the first man, uh, first person is a man by the name of Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the man was just. That speaks of his, this is his character, his relationship with his fellow man. He was fair, he was just, he was righteous. But he was not only just, but devout. Devout speaks of his relationship with God. So this is a a, a, a special guy. And, uh, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the Messiah uh, to come a, a, in, into the world. And uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Uh, And it had been revealed to him uh, by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ or before he had seen the Messiah. So this is a beautiful picture there in verse 20 of a word of knowledge. Uh, under the old covenant, where God reveals something to Simeon that he would not otherwise know in terms of spiritual gifts. And he knew at a word of knowledge, I'm not going to die before I see uh, the promised Messiah. I mean, imagine the anticipation that that built Into his life. I mean, every day was, could this be the day? And of course, we have that same anticipation in our lives as we're waiting uh, for the Lord to come back and rapture us. And we don't know that it'll be in our lifetimes, uh, but it might be before the service is over. I don't know the way things are going. And uh, everything's moving right along God's plan. And, and so uh, he uh, had this revelation, this word of knowledge from God. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit said, hey, Simeon, get down to the temple. And uh, he obeyed that prompting of the Spirit. And when uh, the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that Simeon... Uh, took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and and said, so Mary, okay, she's pretty cool as a young mother. Uh, here's this guy was in the temple, so he's probably okay. Different culture. Uh, people were to be trusted a little more than we're used to today. So he takes this child, Jesus, uh, in his arms, and then he uh, prays out to the Lord, blesses God, thanks God, uh, for him now uh, lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace Isn't that great he says god now i see him i now this is the messiah i can die in peace as we would say and and so, uh, I can die in peace, depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And God's salvation is wrapped up in a person, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And so, uh, what he prays here would have been Uh, Pretty unusual uh, for uh, anyone to pray at the Jewish temple at this particular point in time, and that is for him to uh, bless the Lord for the fact that this Messiah was coming into the world not only to bless the Jews, but to bless the Gentiles as well, which is something that's promised through the entire Old Testament, but it tended to be overlooked by the Jewish religious leaders. And and so uh, he has come not only to save and be a blessing to the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. It's interesting that at this particular point in time when Simeon has this beautiful relationship with his fellow man, this beautiful relationship that he has uh, with God, he possesses it at a time when uh, the Jewish religious system was dominated by the Pharisees and by the Sadducees. and uh, and they had hijacked the Jewish religion, and there was so much hypocrisy, so much corruption. Uh, It it disgusted so many Jews that the Essenes, which is a sect of the Jews at the time, left Jerusalem altogether and went out into the desert to try and seek after God independent of the corruption that these two groups had had, uh, infused into Judaism. And yet, here is Simeon, right in the middle of all of that apostasy, all these people doing all of that stuff, and he is ready, uh, right where he needs to be, walking close with God, uh, walking right with other people, uh, no matter what anyone else is doing in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and the religious leaders were not his model for his relationship with God the Bible was his model for relationship with God and you need to remember that if you've ever been burnt by someone or a church or someone in power abuse of power whatever in terms of leaders and that kind of thing and, and exposed to corruption that can uh, sometimes exist in what calls itself uh, Christian. That's not your model. That, that's just a hard lesson that we all learn in our Christian life. Don't let it derail you. But you, you take and walk with the Lord. Be ready for what the Lord wants to reveal to you in your life. In, uh, and, uh, and continue on with that. Whatever the world becomes around us or even whatever kind of apostasy may attach itself to uh, the Christian church. And so this beautiful, beautiful scene. I do like that description at, at the end of verse 32 and he describes Jesus as the glory of your people Israel. The single greatest glory associated with the Jewish people in human history, is the provision to the world of a Messiah and a Savior. Uh, The Jews have uh, done two great things in, in human history. The two greatest things are is that by and large, God used them to bring the Word of God into human history and then to bring His Messiah into human history. And how sad it is Uh, how few Jews trust in Jesus as their Messiah, though he is their glory. He is the greatest product of the Jewish people uh, that has ever been and ever will uh, be. But their eyes will be opened at, at his second coming. And Joseph and his mother, they marveled at those things which uh, were spoken to them, uh, 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 those uh, were spoken uh, of him by Simeon. Simeon then proceeded to bless them, and he said to uh, Mary, uh, jo- uh, Jesus' mother, behold, this child is destined For the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be uh, revealed. And so, uh, here he gives this, this prophecy. Uh, of Jesus to Mary and uh, said that he's destined for the rising and fall of many in Israel he'll divide Israel indeed he will divide the entire world into two groups those who reject him as Messiah and Savior though uh, a, 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 and uh, uh, are headed for a fall and those who humble themselves and they accept him as a Messiah they would they would rise and that they would be uh, Uh, blessed. He said that in verse 34, he's destined for a sign which will be spoken against. In other words, even though Jesus was the absolute perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures uh, concerning the uh, prophecies of, of the Messiah, Simeon declared that despite that, he's still going to be rejected, and he's still going to be blasphemed, and that his life uh, wouldn't be an easy one. There would be great opposition to his life and to his uh, ministry. And, uh, and and so here you imagine being Simeon. He holds Jesus in his hand. He, his heart is soaring with joy. And yet he realizes for every person that will uh, praise this Messiah and uh, trust in this Savior, many, many others will blaspheme him. And so uh, they did. And so they uh, uh, do to this day and and then uh, Simeon he prophesied of the great emotional pain and the heartache that uh, that Mary uh, would endure as Jesus's mother because she would be a witness to all the lies that would be spoken against him all of the injustices that would be meted out against him all of the blasphemies blasf- uh, blasphemy that was spoken uh, uh, against him all of the opposition all of the rejection and then ultimately she witnessed she stood at the base of of his crucifixion the crucifixion of her son uh, on on Calvary and uh and so he said yes a sword is going to pierce through uh, your own soul that is your own heart uh, the uh the the heart being the seat of the emotion the the word that Simeon uses here for sword it speaks of a very large double edged sword in other words the pain that the physical pain that a a, a uh, a person would experience in having a very large double-edged uh, sword being thrust through their heart uh, is going to be uh, representative of the kind of emotional pain that she will uh, endure uh, in, in uh, bringing this Messiah, this Savior, her Son, uh, into uh, the world. And so tremendous, tremendous uh, respect for her And I look forward to seeing her one day in heaven. And uh, Mary, as as Simeon prophesies here, uh, every one of his disciples experienced tremendous grief at the scene of his crucifixion. But nobody experienced uh, 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 the the kind of grief that, that Mary experienced on that day and at the base uh, of that cross. He said, uh, Jesus' life, verse 35, will expose the thoughts uh, of many hearts. And, uh, and uh, one of the greatest truths that's spoken about Jesus comes out of Simeon here, that Jesus will be the revealer of the hearts uh, of uh, man. And uh, Jesus himself is the single means by which an individual... Uh, reveals their heart to be good or for their heart to be evil on the basis of whether we receive him in life or we reject him uh, in life there is no good reason for uh, rejecting jesus for who he said he was and rejecting him as as our savior the only reasons come out of darkness a love for sin Uh, a a love uh, for evil. And so this division uh, 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 occurs there. No good reason to reject Him at all. And what a person does with Jesus in accepting Him as Savior, as Messiah, or in rejecting Him as Savior and Messiah, that is always a reflection on their heart alone. It is never a reflection on Jesus never we never no individual human being or if everybody in the world rejected jesus in mass it would be no negative reflection upon him it would be a reflection upon our hearts and Jesus reveals man's heart in that in that way. What we do with him makes no difference in terms of who he is and and what he uh, and what he is. And then we're introduced to Anna here. And uh, she there in verse 36, uh, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of uh, of great age and she had lived with a husband seven years from her uh, virginity. So she was married seven years and then her Her husband died. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, and uh, she did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers, uh, night and day. And so, Uh, She was probably, if she was, uh, uh, she's either 85 years old or um, if she was married at, uh, say, 14 or 15, as they did in those days, and uh, the seven years of the marriage plus the 84, uh, she's in her early 100s. Just uh, uh, a healthy diet. Uh, lots of fiber and grain and protein or whatever. So, but but her whole whole focus was worshiping God there. Uh, at at the temple, and coming in, she did, into the temple area, probably the court of the women. Uh, She gave thanks to the Lord, and uh, she spoke uh, of Jesus, seeing him there, to all who looked for uh, redemption in Israel. So she recognizes Jesus as Messiah, and begins to tell, for the rest of her life, everyone who came to the temple, Uh, of the birth of the Messiah. And so when they had performed all of these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned then to Galilee, to their own city uh, uh, of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and uh, the grace of God uh, was upon him. And uh, his parents. Then here is a jump into to where he's about 12 years old, and it's the only event that we have recorded in the scriptures of Jesus's uh, of his 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 childhood beyond his birth and his dedication uh, at the temple, and then the beginning of his public ministry. And Luke provides it to us again with his emphasis upon the humanity uh, of Christ. His parents, Joseph and Mary. Here, about 12 years later, they went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. We don't know much about Joseph. He dies somewhere in the course of things. We know he's a righteous man, and we know he's a good man, and, um, but we know that he loves God, and he led a godly household. Because the law of Moses required that every male uh, among the Jewish people would come to Jerusalem. To celebrate the three great feasts of the Jewish religious calendar. And here we see that Joseph, even though monetarily things were tight for them, he always made it a point that not only would he go to celebrate the feast in Jerusalem, but he would also take Mary and he would also take Joseph and uh, uh, Jesus rather and uh, and the family. So a little bit of a glimpse into that and uh, they make their way Uh, from the north up in Nazareth they come down to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast and when they had finished uh, the days of the feast they were then going to return from Jerusalem to Nazareth and the boy Jesus lingered behind uh, in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother did not uh, know it and uh, but they supposed him to have been in the company and they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so they, they leave Jerusalem, they're headed for Nazareth. Uh, They spend an entire day traveling. And at the end of the day, where's Jesus? They're probably in a very large number of family members and other people from Nazareth, all in kind of a caravan. All the kids are playing with one another, people are uh, with one another. And so the end of the day, all right, where uh, where is Jesus? And then they realize he's nowhere to be found. And, uh, and so they make the one-day journey back to Jerusalem. They're going to spend a full day searching for him in Jerusalem because it, it takes them three days to find him uh, uh, from when they left him. Uh, Joseph, prob- uh, uh, my, uh, my thought is, uh, related to Jesus, is that when uh, Jesus was as surprised about being left behind as they were about leaving him behind. So the panic of the parents... And, and uh, Jesus probably went to the temple and uh, and began to engage the Jewish religious leaders in the temple simply because uh, he's going to redeem the time, but also because he assumed that is where they would go directly in order to find him. Instead, they look all over Jerusalem trying to find him, and they go to the temple last. And so Jesus said, "Well, didn't you know?" And uh, and and I think he had probably endeavored to to make it easy for them to find him, saying, "Well, the first place they would look would be the temple," but it didn't happen to be so. And so they. Uh, when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And, uh, and so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and then asking uh, them questions. And all those who heard him were astonished at his understanding uh, and his uh, answers. And so uh, don't, don't view Jesus as kind of some uh, smug, arrogant uh, little 12 year old uh, in the temple among all of these older uh, uh, Jewish scholars, and he's showing off everything that he knows. Um, a, a very common means by which uh, learning occurs. Uh, among Jews is, uh, is not a, a lecture kind of format. It is a back and forth. Somebody presents something, somebody asks a question about it, somebody else says this, and it's, and it's that kind of an engagement in terms of learning. And Jesus is engaged in that kind of a discussion with the highest Jewish religious leaders in all of the world. And the quality of questions that he is asking and his understanding of the Scriptures leaves them astonished related to uh, a a 12-year-old. And so that's what he was doing there. And uh, uh, so they come in. And, uh, and uh, they, f- they saw him, Mary and Joseph, find him there in the temple, verse 48. And they were amazed and his mother said to him, uh, so this is mama bear coming out a little bit. Son, why have you done this to us? I mean, you think about losing a child and for three days, why I oughta. Uh But uh, boy, she was, by the time she found him, there's this relief button. Come on, you know. And uh, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And she said, and he said to them, why uh, did you seek me? Did you, why would you spend your time going all over the place looking uh, someplace else for me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? You should... The, I, I, I'm here in the temple because I thought that was where you would make uh, the beeline... Uh, to knowing what I'm about and why I've come uh, into the world. There's no smugness or anything in, in uh, verse 49 at all in his addressing uh, his parent. It's a beautiful humility. And they did not understand the, statements which, the statement which he spoke uh, to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. I was just thinking about that right there. That'd make a great uh, poster for every Christian parent to put up in their uh, teenager's room, wouldn't it? Let's see if it's got a ring for it. He went down with them at in, in 12 years old, maybe in this culture, start at 10. And uh, he went down with them concerning Jesus and came to Nazareth and was subject uh, to them. But it is, in all seriousness... Uh, if I'm going to make Jesus the model of, of my life and my example, and I want to be conformed into his image, especially as a young person, is to show respect for uh, the authority within the family and, and uh, the authority of, of mother and uh, a father. If anyone could have uh, run roughshod, over his parents uh, in any which way that he would have chosen. He uh, could have done it, but he didn't. And he models uh, a beautiful thing for all of us, but for youth especially. But his mother uh, kept all of these things in her heart so that file continues to grow. And she understands a lot, but she's growing a lot as well. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and uh, men. So often you'll you'll see these specials that happen uh, Christmas time and Easter. They'll have specials that are entitled "The Hidden Years uh, of Jesus," "The Unknown Years of Jesus," and the uh, makers of these kind of productions they will, uh, the, or the silent years of Jesus. They will take the complete silence of the Bible on the the uh, childhood and youth of Jesus, and given the silence, they'll fill the whole thing in. Yeah, he went to India and he met the gurus there and then he learned and then he went over here and he picked up a little bit this and that and there's nothing of the sort. All we know about his childhood is what's given to us right here and all we need to know is that through his, his, his growing up he increased in wisdom and uh, uh, knowledge and the ability to apply knowledge and stature he grew physically and also in favor with God and with men. The impact that he had uh, upon people because of, of uh, who he was, uh, those were the things that marked his, his childhood and his youth. And so we'll stop there uh, tonight and uh, we'll stand and we'll have the worship team come out and uh, maybe close us in some kind of an appropriate song um, and let me pray before we do that.